Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC football podcast. My name is Joey Weaver. He is Mike McDaniel. Mike, week one, largely in the books. Are we uh, are we having fun yet? Oh, I'm having a lot of fun, and I don't have really much of a voice. I'm hurt. I'm not injured. Um, <laughs> I screamed too much on Friday night. Lane Stadium was the loudest I've ever heard it. I probably attended like 30 to 40 games there over the course of like the last six or seven years. The loudest I've ever heard it. It was unreal. It, so it, I'm feeling good. Yeah. I'm feeling good. Joey, how are you is, is the better question. Uh, no, no, I'm not. Um, Georgia, Georgia tech, I think was also kind of loud on Saturday night in a very, very different way. Um, I, I will say watching the intro to that game on Friday night, like absolutely gave me chills. It it was appointment watching. I, I, I think I rewound it and watched it a second time, you know, just that, what an intro, what a, what a moment, uh, in, in just that feeling that college football is back at that brought a lot of joy to my heart. Uh, unlike other things that happened this weekend, but we'll get into that here shortly. Uh, Mike, we do we, we sit here and we record this recap of the week one action here on the afternoon of Labor Day. So happy Labor Day. Thank uh, you. We, it is Thank a Monday, you. but we are not skipping meetings or anything to, uh, to be recording this. So uh, we, we are recording this before the weekend is officially concluded, as tonight the Louisville Cardinals will be taking on the Ole Miss Rebels at 8 o'clock on ESPN. Are they still the Rebels? Did they change that? I don't know. I feel like they changed it. Um, uh, they're still the rebels. Okay, still, still the rebels, rebels until until that's offensive too. It, they're still the rebels. Yeah, it, it won't be long. Um, <laughs> we have we have found out that uh, Lane Kiffin tested positive for COVID, meaning he will not be coaching in that game, which is kind of an interesting development. Um, but in any case, we're going to come back and recap that game as part of our week two preview here in a couple days. Uh, but otherwise, Mike, we do have. Uh, recaps for the other 12 games that have been played in the ACC this weekend already. Oh, and man, we got some takes to unpack here, Joey. Yeah, uh, less than an ideal weekend in the ACC, uh, we'll have to say. So uh, that starts with really the big headliner Saturday night, the Georgia Bulldogs 10, the Clemson Tigers 3. First Hmm. off, Mike, I don't know what your thought was. I kind of thought this game sucked. (laughs) Like... This game was boring. It was hard to watch. Uh, I mean, it was a it was a big time defensive struggle where th- that ten points that Georgia had, the one touchdown was a defensive touchdown. Like n- neither team could move the ball all that particularly well. It was a defensive struggle, a slugfest. It was hard to watch. Good win for Georgia. I tend to think Clemson's going to be okay here. Hand up. Full disclosure. I had been drinking for about nine to ten hours prior to kickoff of this game. That checks out. That checks out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Hold on. Hold on. Guys being dudes. Here here we go. What's better than this? Guys being dudes. There you go. And my wife wife was with me. She said I didn't totally embarrass myself. So overall, could have been worse. That's a win. 
the point of me saying that is I enjoyed this game probably a little bit more than I should have in the moment. Um, going back to rewatch it, the game sucked. Yeah. I mean, that's I'm, how I feel about it. It sucked. That, um, that's the long and short of it, it felt like. Yeah. Um, so a few takeaways here. Number one, Georgia's defense is the best in college football, I think. It was the best one on paper, in my estimation, going into the season. And through one week, I have yet to find a defense that's looked better than Georgia's against when considering all of the variables, number one, what they returned on that side of the football. Um, number two, the caliber of competition they're going up against in Clemson. Uh, number three, the fact that, you know, Clemson was this team coming into the year that, look, you know, they were replacing some talent on offense, namely for Lawrence, but nobody was worried about that because DJU looked so good in limited action last year. It was, okay, how do they replace the production loss at running back with Travis Etienne, right? And to be honest, I don't really know because uh, non-sack adjusted numbers, Clemson grades out 23 carries for two yards in this football game. Um, is that good, Joey? Uh, it's not great. I don't. Not, let me do some quick yards great. per carry. Uh, it's not very many. <laughs> that is correct. It is not very many. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, this this could have gone a little bit better for Clemson. Now. There was not an offensive touchdown scored in this game. Uh, DJU had an interception return, 73 yards for a touchdown. Uh, so Georgia won this game 10-3, to basically on the back of that touchdown and that touchdown alone. Uh, Georgia had a bit more offensive success than Clemson, although it wasn't that good. They had 121 yards rushing as a team. JT Daniels only three, threw for 135 yards. He was 22-30. So he was completing a lot of passes, just... Efficiency, not quite there. One one more time. That was 22 out of 30 for 135 30 yards. Yes. Was he completing passes? Yes. Were they going anywhere? No. No. Um, this, uh, basically how I can summarize this game was, it was a rock fight and everybody lost. Like, <laughs> I had a really bad time. Well, and this was also like on the on the big screen while on the smaller screen, I was watching a Georgia Tech game that we'll talk about in a little bit. So you want to talk about mm-hmm. having a bad time. <laughs> yeah, but you had a slightly better time watching this game than watching your Yellow Jackets. <laughs> so you're yes, yes, I did. And I mean, at the end of the day, dude, college football's back like that. Yeah. And the right. crowds were back and it was, everything was right in the world, even right. when everything was wrong. Um, exactly. So yep, exactly. This was this was. It was good. I don't know. The, the, the big thing, like you said, I mean, Georgia's defense completely overwhelmed Clemson's offensive line. And that was really the story of the game and why Clemson had such a miserable time, you know, moving the ball down the field. Like DJU got sacked seven times. Uh, he was often running for his life pretty much immediately after getting the snap. Uh, right. I don't know what, what you would have expected him to do in some of these cases. Like it was it was a struggling to block George's front and B receivers weren't exactly getting all that open either. They were not getting no. separation from George's, you know, if there's an Achilles heel to Georgia, at least on defense, it's in the secondary. Clemson's receivers were not not really doing a lot to exploit that at all. I do have some concerns about Clemson's receiving core. I mean, Joe Stengott is a good player. It was nice to see Justin Ross back on the field. But, mm-hmm. I mean, there are some questions with this receiving core coming into the year, and we knew that, you know. Um, and I, I, I'm going to hold off on being concerned about the running game with Clemson because uh, they're not going to face a rushing defense the rest of the season that's as good as Georgia's. So I'm going to hold off on being totally concerned about that until I need to be. 
because uh, Will Shipley's a five star and Lindsay Dixon is a four star and like he's played, you know, he's got veteran experience and, uh, you know, it, it just wasn't a good situation. Right. I mean, this is, this is a Clemson offense that, you know, if you're going to catch the best defense in the country, probably don't want to catch on game one, especially when they're returning that many veterans. Like this is a bad time to get them when you're breaking in new offensive skill talent. Um, I don't know. I Clemson will be fine until they get. I don't want to over. Okay, let me let me restart this. I don't want to overreact to week one, right? Mm-hmm. There's going to be naturally some overreaction because everybody overreacts to week one. But my feeling on this is that Clemson is going to be fine. They're they're likely going to run the table in the ACC and they're going to win the ACC championship. We know that, right? My question is, if they get into a college football playoff situation. Uh, what's that going to look like? Like, I expect Dabo to have that team ready to play, but is this going to be like a like a Kelly Bryant Clemson year, where yeah, they're they're playoff good, but they're like the fourth best playoff team, maybe? Like, is that what we're looking at this year? I mean, and and it's this possible. is again, it's possible, and I don't want to overreact to game one, but it's certainly it's certainly possible. I certainly don't want to overreact when they're playing one of the best teams in the country either. Um, but when you project that forward and Clemson will be better in three months than they are right now, I, I believe that too, but so will Georgia. <laughs> so I just, I, I wonder, yeah. I, and Joey, yeah. Joey, they're, I mean, Georgia's good. Dude. I mean, they're, but come they're, on. Yeah, they're very good. They're very Let's, good. They're going to be, they are going to be better in three months than they are right now. I have questions about Georgia too. Like if they can score enough in a playoff game against Bama or I don't even forget that. Let's not even talk about playoff. If they can score in the SEC championship against Bama, because anybody who said that AM was going to take down Bama and win the SEC West, if you guys watched the just first half of the Texas AM Kent State game, there is no shot, no shot that team wins the SEC West. No shot. I'm going to go uh, tag at freezing cold takes on that one just to uh, make a little note of that. Well, maybe we'll come back to that. I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, this is, you know, and this is the thing again, Mike, that we talked about a little bit is maybe some of this does fall on Big Cinco. And and the way that I put it to you, and we've kind of talked about this in the past, is like, yep. if I asked you to name who was the best quarterback of the last 10 years in college football, who's the second best quarterback? Who's the third best quarterback? Like, how far yep. down that list would we need to get before we have named both Trevor Lawrence and Deshaun Watson? Like and and that's what we've always had as Clemson's quarterback since we've been doing this podcast, with the exception of that year that you're talking about with Kelly Bryant. Yep. Like, yep, going back to 2014, the, you know, the entire playoff era, it's been those two guys almost entirely. And and so for for a guy to come in and still be really good, but not be one of the ten, you know, seven best quarterbacks or whatever of the decade, it's not an insult, but it can it can give you some uh, some mortality, I think at least on offense that you just haven't had in recent years. Right. So I think that's something to keep an eye on. The other thing that I thought was really interesting that uh, Bud Elliott brought up in the, in the wake of this game that I thought was something to kind of think about is at some point, don't, don't Clemson's receivers all kind of look the same. Like aren't all of them like six, three, six, four, two twenty, like big outside receivers. Like where, where's Hunter Renfro? Where's Ryan Switzer? Where's like your, your little slot guy who can, go sit in the middle of coverage and, and make a quick out and, you know, 
He's a little more nimble and, and you know, you, you need a, like a change up in there somewhere, right? Like where's Clemson's Amari Rogers? Like where, where is he? Yeah. Where's I, Amari Rogers? Like, where's know, that guy? You need something. You need a change of pace guy. Cause like, it's great having these big, strong, fast guys, but like, they're just not that nimble. Like you, you need guys that can get open in different ways and, and not just try to win jump balls all the time. So I don't know. That's something to keep an eye on. Again, Clemson's going to be fine. They're going to win the ACC. Like, it's a foregone conclusion. But right. I do think that there is a chance that there is some more mortality to be uh, to be explored this year than in, in recent years for Clemson and ACC games. We'll say that. Yeah, this is... Uh... I agree because I think they are getting exposed a bit up front with their offensive line. And mm-hmm. if they face a decent secondary, I think they could potentially run into some issues with their keepers getting open. And if that's the case against normal competition, not just elite competition like Georgia, then we could be talking about like a two loss Clemson, which certainly isn't making the playoff and in all likelihood dooms the ACC. Cause I don't see a team running, running the table in the ACC other than Clemson. I just don't, I don't see it. Like the coastal, everybody just beats each other up and the Atlantic it's, it's Clemson or bus basically. After what we saw this weekend, you're telling me you couldn't see anybody other than Clemson going undefeated <laughs> oh in this God. conference. No, we got some games to discuss. My goodness. Georgia 10, Clemson three. Let's keep going. Alabama 44, Miami 13. Okay. Start, Hand up. start here. You lost. I was to, wrong. You lost to Alabama. It's that's Okay. You're allowed to lose to Alabama. Everybody loses to Alabama. Everybody. But Mike, yes, you and I, we were uh, we were wrong on this one. This was bad for Miami. This was bad for Manny Diaz. There's here's the thing, right? Nobody's going to. You don't need to apologize for losing to Alabama, but you do need to apologize for getting blown out when you're returning most of your defense, most of your offense, and Alabama's returning essentially their offense and like you know, half of their defense. Um, this is not a good look for Miami. And I have a question for you kind of before we dive into the ins and outs of this football game. Um, Joey, is Derek King fully healthy? Do you think? Uh, fully like a hundred, hundred percent. No, I they're afraid so. of running him. Aren't they? They're afraid of running him. I mean, I don't blame them for, for like trying to limit running him especially in this spot, like against this, this team and this defense, like I get that. Yeah. But I'll give him this too, though, is that Alabama's defense did a really good job of like forcing him to stay in the pocket. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of what we've talked about since last year is that a really good way to beat Miami is to keep Derek King in front of you, make him stand in there and make a bunch of throws and see if those wide receivers can get open and go get the ball. I mean, that, that's the right game plan to uh, to attack with, I think. Agree. Um, that's just my, my first takeaway. And I understand not wanting to run King a bunch, right? You get that. Um, my, my, bigger, my bigger question is, like, run the cover play, in the words of Stanford, Steve. And uh, <laughs> they, didn't, <laughs> they, they didn't run that cover play for me, Joe. They almost like, did. They didn't do it. They almost did. I mean, I, I felt like really where this game – turned and, and completely like I mean Miami again was never going to win but where this completely got away from Miami was early in the third quarter they had the ball like on the two yard line or something uh got stood up and there was a goal line stand by Alabama 
And so Miami comes away, you know, they had the ball down deep, deep in the red zone, like, you know, ready yep. to score. They came away with nothing. Alabama turns around and goes like four plays, 96 yards, scores a touchdown. Right. Mean, that was a 14 point swing right there. That's where this whole thing just completely got away from Miami and, and everything started looking really embarrassing. Yeah. And the fact that they simply just could not get a stop. I mean, I, I look at the first the first offensive touchdown of the game for Alabama. It's essentially John Maffey getting passed off in zone coverage by Miami's linebacking core. Mm-hmm. And they're like, hey, um, I'm passing him off to you. And then Miami's outside linebacker just didn't kind of didn't run with him. No, you're and not. <laughs> and he said, you know what? Actually, I am not going to take him. And Metri just said, OK. And Bryce Young just kind of just flipped the ball about 15 yards. And All-American wide receiver John Metri did the rest. Mm-hmm. So um, and I'm calling him an All-American wide receiver because that's what he's going to be at the end of the year. So uh, don't leave that guy open consistently. And, you know, Miami to their credit, outside of just letting him run through the middle of the secondary, they did a pretty decent job. He had six catches for 76 yards. It was Jamison Williams. They had a really hard time covering this game. Uh, but this was just a beat down from start to finish. Bryce Young looked really, really, really comfortable. Super put together, yeah. Just as advertised. And, you know, it was fair for us, I think, to have some questions about just how good he would be. Would he live up to the hype? And he's getting these, you know... He's getting seven-figure NIL deals and everything else. We're like, all right, can we at least see him on the field first? And he looks every bit as good as any of the other quarterbacks that have come before him. And he might be the best one, which is bad news for everybody else. Yeah. The other thing that stuck out to me, Mike, in this game, and, and again, it's no surprise, and I think Alabama's defense is probably better than they were last year when they were naturally just really good against just Alabama's right. defense under Saban. It's, right. it's a pretty constant theme. But, like, Miami had basically no answers in terms of rushing the ball. Um, you know, they had a no. couple of somewhat, you know, breakaway bigger runs. But, I mean, any sort of consistency was just not there. Um, there, there, was just, there was just a lot of, like, general futility with trying to move the ball in this game. Um, they, they didn't seem like they had a lot of answers for, you know, creativity, getting guys open or, or anything. I don't know. I was just... I was very disappointed, I guess, that Miami didn't have a little bit more life in them, considering all they had coming back and, um, you know, the excitement around Derek King and and everything. Like, you got blown out. I get it. Alabama does this to people. It's so it's not the it's not the what I think it's the I think it's the how a little bit if I'm talking about for sure. I mean, I, I, we didn't expect Miami to win this game. I expect them to be a little bit more competitive than they were, though. I mean, it was twenty seven to three at halftime. And it just didn't seem like Miami. I mean, at that point, we we knew where this was going because Alabama does this to teams in season openers. And, you know, we should have been probably a little smarter about this. But when we looked at this on paper, you saw what Alabama was replacing. And you saw what Miami had coming back. And you're seeing a 19.5 point spread. Like, I don't think it was the worst bet of all time to make no. it at the time, knowing what we knew. No, I don't think so either. I mean, again, it was like... There was like a six play stretch that it, the way, you know, the way that it goes gives Alabama plus 14. Whereas, I mean, th- this could have been 37 to 20 and there's your cover right there. Like, right. You know, that's the difference. So, um, no, I don't, I don't regret the pick. I don't regret the bet. Um, I, I think Miami had their chances and they just, they weren't able to get it done. That's, that's okay. I, th- again, we, we never thought they were going to win. No big deal. The bigger thing to me, Mike is, is, like the psyche of the players and of the team, like, can you, 
can you now turn around and take on a hungry, seemingly put together App State team next week? And the week after, can you put you know take on a put together Michigan State team? Like, can you avoid yeah, Bama beating you more than once? That's the thing you got to be careful of now. Yeah, that that's my question. You know, I'm I'm looking at Miami in this App State game this weekend like this is kind of a tough spot for Miami coming off of getting blown out because now you need to look really good against App State not just like good you gotta look like really good for yep. people to kind of look at you a little bit a little bit better from a perception standpoint like yep. looking like a team that can win the coastal like I thought so this is this is pretty funny because I see the Virginia Tech win on Friday night now I'm thinking I'm look I'm feeling real good about my Miami pick to win the coastal and then I watch Miami play on Saturday and like you said it's not it's not that lost. It's how they lost. And now I'm not so sure, right? And that's that's why the next couple of weeks for Miami in particular, of any team in the ACC, especially in the Coastal, like Miami is the team to watch over the next couple of weeks because this is a really important stretch coming up for them in the non-conference where this season can go one of two directions for Miami Diaz. They can either get things back on track. You can point to this as kind of like an aberration, like Alabama's on a different level. We're not there. We know that, but we can still be really good. Or you slip up against a Michigan State, you slip up against an App State, and then all of a sudden you're just like same old Miami going to seven or eight wins, just kind of drastically underperforming expectations relative to the roster you have. Yep. Yeah, we need to check in on Miami here in about two weeks after this App State and Michigan State game, and I think we'll have a pretty good idea at that point if they're going to be able to hold this together all season or if this is going to start spiraling a little bit. Exactly. This is this was one of two teams in the coastal, Virginia Tech being the other, where we were going to have a pretty good idea by the end of September where they were going, yep, and where they were going to be at. And I'm interested to see how they look after losing by 31 points to the best team in the country. Exactly. Alabama 44, Miami 13. Elsewhere in the state of Florida, Mike, uh, the Notre Dame fight in Irish. This was last night on Sunday. 41, the Knowles 38 in overtime. This was a game that Notre Dame like had kind of run away with and had won. And then here came Florida State in the fourth quarter. And my goodness, I I am impressed with what I saw from Florida State in this game relative to what we've seen in recent years. They, they, they broke off a couple of kind of fluky long touchdown plays that, yep. that really helped to keep them in this game the whole way. But even still, like... I mean, in the fourth quarter, they were moving the ball on a decidedly really good Notre Dame defense. Florida right. State might have something here. Okay, a couple things. Um, a couple of long, fluky touchdowns, in my opinion, in the first half by Florida State mm -hmm. that I was looking at, I'm thinking, all right, Notre Dame's defense, like, they got a lot to replace, no doubt about it, and they have Kyle Hamilton back in the secondary, which, as we saw last night, is a cheat code. Um but Notre two Dame was not without last question. night for Kyle Hamilton. Yeah, two picks, two picks. The one, the the second one was out of this world. That was ridiculous. nuts. Yeah, ran like all the way across the field and got there just in time. That was Insane. unbelievable. Insane, and and that's why he'll in all likelihood be a top ten pick next April. Mm -hmm. um, so Notre Dame was not without questions on defense outside of Kyle Hamilton. We knew that coming in, but early in the game we see those two long fluky. It, it seemed fluky at the time. Fluky plays by Florida State. And we look at their offense, really, the rest of the game. We're, we're going into the third quarter, and Notre Dame's kind of on cruise control, and the Irish are up 38-20. to 20, And we're like, okay, going into the fourth quarter, Notre Dame is just going to do this nice little cover game here. Minus 7.5 is looking real good. 
And good on you for hanging it, around as long as you did, Florida State. Like, good on you. Right. And and Florida State had done enough by that time, especially with their run defense in particular, which I thought was really, really good in this game. The interior defensive line where they, they lost, you know, two of their best players of the defense last year and stepped right up in their interior defensive line, I thought played very well. Um, and they had done enough where I looked at this Florida State team and I said, you know what, this team's a little bit different here this year. You know what, good for them. They hung with a good, a really good Notre Dame team, we think. Like, good for them. And then Mackenzie Milton came strutting onto the field. Number one, great story. Awesome to see him out there playing and just being able to even suit up and compete is you know, hats off to him. Joe Tessitore made sure we didn't forget about it. That guy couldn't stop talking about it for the last, you know, seven or eight minutes of the ball game. I was going to say, depending on who you're listening to, you might have even forgotten there was a football game going on. It, it was actually right. like a, a medical class that was being taught by the by the announce crew. Yeah. Yeah. It's been 1,017 days since he last suited up in a football game. That's been burned in my memory. After that catastro- hashtag catastrophic knee injury. Catastrophic knee injury. He He couldn't get enough of that. If you had catastrophic on your on your bingo square for your drinking game at home this weekend, I'm sorry because you died last night in the last like six or seven minutes. You're having a rough, rough Monday. If that was a the case. really, 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 really <laughs> rough go of it. Um, so, uh, yeah, really impressed by Florida State's offense in the fourth quarter with Mackenzie Milton out there, uh, and and it was less fluky in my mind as the like way the game kind of went. And the way the offense looked when Milton got onto the field, it was less fluke and more of like, okay, Florida State is whipping that ass. <laughs> like Notre Dame was having some trouble on defense, playing on their heels, which makes me wonder two things, Joey. Number one, is Notre Dame's defense that good? And number two, did Florida State start the wrong quarterback? Like, I mean, I think it's a valid question. Like you look at Jordan Travis's line, nine for 19 for 130 yards, two touchdowns and three picks like I mean for what you saw from Mackenzie Milton I don't know if it just caught Notre Dame off guard or if they were exhausted at the end of the game but Mackenzie Milton was slinging it I mean he He was was. he was decisive he was in command like he looked great in in you know when he came in that game in the fourth quarter Uh, you know it it makes me wonder yeah like maybe Jordan Travis was the wrong decision Um, yeah yep the other thing that really stuck out to me in this game, Mike, from a Florida State standpoint, did you watch their offensive line at all? Yes, I did. Um, looked pretty mediocre for, I'd say, two and a half quarters, and then looked much better, I'd say, the last quarter and a half. Like, running the football was much improved. Protecting Jordan Travis, not so much, but... Now I wonder, now that I have the benefit of seeing Mackenzie Milton play, I wonder if Travis in some occasions was hanging on to the ball too long. Mike, their offensive line looking looking mediocre. I was excited about that. Yeah, that's an upgrade. <laughs> as, as, as bad and disorganized as they have looked in recent years, like mediocre was pretty good for their standards. Like, And then, of course, yeah, you mentioned down the stretch, as Milton was making a lot of quick, quick game, quick throws, uh, kind of to the sidelines and over the middle of the field. Like, so Notre Dame didn't have a lot of opportunity to get in there and, and really get after him. Um, but the, I mean, the offensive line, I was impressed. Like if you can do that against Notre Dame, you're going to be just fine against a lot of the defenses you're going to play the rest of the year in the ACC. Like I, I, even at a loss here, 
I, I really think Florida State might have something here. And, and this might be where the, you see the jump to seven or eight wins, especially considering what they're going to play the rest of the season. Yeah, I, I agree with you. No, I think they definitely have something. And I think there's now a chance, which I didn't think you know, to start the year, I think there is a real chance that Florida State could be one of those teams to be in the conversation to push for that second best team in the Atlantic, which is mm-hmm. something I was not totally convinced about heading into the year. I thought that there was a chance that they could be that good. Um, I, I thought if Mackenzie Milton, and this is the big qualifier for me, you know, if Mackenzie Milton not only played, but looked as good as he did at UCF prior to the injury, or even like three quarters of that guy, I thought that would be an upgrade of whoever Florida State put in last year, right? I mean, there were there were a number of guys, Jordan Travis, of course, being one of them. Um, but I, I thought there was a real opportunity for Florida State to potentially make at least a bit of a jump. This looks like a bowl team to me after week one. I mean, certainly hanging with a, a top 10 Notre Dame team, which I don't know if Notre Dame's a top 10 team or not, but I don't think Notre Dame's going to be any worse than like eight or nine wins this year. Mm-hmm. And, and to handle their business against a team that's been a playoff two out of the last three years, it, it does say something about the state of Florida State's program right now compared to where it was under Willie Taggart. And, and the one last kind of just game-specific issue I have for Florida State is – what in the world were they doing with the play calling in the third quarter? They ran, they ran wildcat two out of three plays and went three and out and gave the ball right back to Notre Dame, who just went back in and scored. Yeah, and it was yeah. a stretch there to, to make it 38 to 20 Irish. And I couldn't believe how poor the play calling was for Mike Norbell. I actually tweeted at that moment that the game was over which I, I ended up being wrong about. It clearly wasn't over, but that's how it was trending. I was like, they just gave the game to Notre Dame with horrific play calling. When yeah. Honestly, if they go down and, and they score, I mean, they were only down two scores at the time, right? It's 31-20. Like, if they're able to go down there and score there, then, then it's still a football game. And it's just like they handed Notre Dame extra possessions, whether it be turnovers or you know poor play calling. Um, I'm just really, really surprised at that, given how Mike Norvell generally has those guys coached offensively. Mm-hmm. I was really surprised at that specific part of the game and, and he made up for it and people are giving him crap for, you know, icing his kicker in, in overtime. Um, I'm sorry. His kicker's a freshman. Uh, if you can have him not kick a 50 yard field goal after a play that you don't think's a fumble, like don't have him kick a field goal. that's 50 yards. Like yeah. he yeah. is a freshman, Joey, like, don't put him in a 50-yard field goal situation. I get that he missed the short field goal, but, like, come on. Let's let's use our heads here. Like, yeah. <laughs> we should not be blaming Mike Norvell and calling for his head because of, you know, there, there were absolutely there in the third quarter. There was at least one possession. It felt like there might have been a second one in there also that were pretty badly mismanaged by Florida State. Yes. Yep. So there was those two possessions, and then there was, yeah, like the, you know, quote-unquote ice your own kicker thing that happened in overtime. Mike, if if that's the worst thing that Mike Norvell has done as Florida State's head coach, again, do you realize the depths that this program was at, like when he took over two years ago? I know. Come, like, know. give the man some credit and what that staff has done with this program in, in a really short time. I agree, and I just had to rant about that kicker thing for a second because I feel like he deserves blame. He deserves more blame for the stretch of play calling in the third quarter, and he's getting more blame. It seems like for the mistake, mistake, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. of icing his own kicker, which is a fluke in and of itself. You don't have a freshman kick a 50-yard field goal unless you have to. Right, right. Like, come on. 
Um, last thing on this, Mike, I, I'm I'm curious as to your thoughts. Florida State next week hosts Jacksonville State, and then the following week they are on the road in Winston Salem taking on the Steeman Deeks. Who is the starting quarterback for Florida State in Winston Salem? It's got to be Mackenzie Melton. Kind of feels like it might. In unless I, it feels like you're going to call different offenses. I think for Mackenzie Milton versus Jordan Travis. So I could see it being like a week to week, like game plan to game plan kind of thing. But if it's purely based on what we saw last night, it has to be Mackenzie Milton. I mean, the thing that bothers me, and I, and I think Jordan Travis definitely has some tools. I think he can be an effective player. The thing that bothers me about Jordan Travis is he tends to miss high over the middle, and he tends to turn the ball over a bunch. Mm-hmm. And those are two things that Florida State can't afford right now because I don't think Florida State's defense is good enough um, to give extra – Florida State's offense, I'm sorry, is not good enough to give extra possessions to good football teams in the ACC. No. Like, they're not – I tweeted that last night. Like, they're not good enough yet to do that. So when they're giving extra possessions to a team like Notre Dame, or if they give extra possessions to a team uh, like a Clemson, like you can't, they're, they're not, they're not that far along yet where they can do that consistently. And I think that Mackenzie Milton gives Florida state a better chance to win from the standpoint of, I trust Milton to take care of the football more than I trust Jordan Travis. And if Florida state thinks that they can get enough out of their running back specifically, I think you've got to go with Mackenzie Milton. If you don't think that, Right. If you don't think that your running backs can contribute enough consistently, then you go with Jordan Travis to add the, the running element to your offense at the quarterback position. But Jay Sean Corbin had 144 yards and 15 carries last night. I think they'll be fine at running back. Yeah, I think so. Jordan Travis had a couple of really gorgeous throws down the field. He also had a couple of just really horrible looking throws. So exactly. Very much a duality thing there with him. Um, last thing, last thing for real, Mike. Shout out to Brian Kelly for trying to execute his whole team. <laughs> that was hilarious. Yeah, we can't. We that that's that was hysterical. I thought he made that comment in the post game press conference there on the field. Like I thought that he, like like something like skipped a beat in his head. Like he like he tried to say two different things and it just came out as as the wrong combo of them. Right. But it turns out he was trying to make a joke and refer to like a former coach. I guess I don't know. That was a weird, weird, uncomfortable moment that went viral it immediately. It was it was hilarious. I mean, I literally laughed. I, but the, the part that was funnier was there were people on Twitter who actually took it like seriously saying Brian Kelly should get in trouble for this, which I thought was really funny. It's like, yeah, you guys actually think that Brian Kelly wanted to execute, like literally execute his entire team? What are we doing? <laughs> Notre Dame 41, Florida State 38. Uh, Mike, let's move on. Virginia Tech 17, North Carolina 10. Can I Can I have like 20 seconds real quick and then you can you can have at it do the honors all right uh we were texting during and after this game and my big takeaway here full credit to virginia tech they deserve to win the game all this stuff um like credit to them i was not as impressed with virginia tech as i was disappointed with north carolina and i was really trying to come up with what the right word to describe what i saw from north carolina was and you know what i came up with mike That's correct, end zone Cass. Soft. North Carolina sucked in this game. Yeah, they were soft. They got bullied up front. Yes, they, <laughs> they did. They got bullied up front. Who could have predicted that, Joey? <laughs> <laughs> Who could have predicted that? Could have been the basketball conference podcast. Who's to it say? could have been. Hey, we thought, and we said it, we had a weird feeling about this, didn't we? 
Yep. We, we thought, and look, for, for Virginia Tech to win this football game, a couple of different things needed to happen. Number one, they had to be able to consistently stop the run against North Carolina's offensive front, something that they couldn't do a year ago. Um, the bigger deal a year ago, um, or, the, or the area that got the most headlines, was the fact that North Carolina had all these really good wide receivers going up against a COVID-riddled Virginia Tech secondary. And that was like the big storyline coming after coming out of the game last year. The bigger deal, which we discussed on the preview, the bigger deal in my mind was that North Carolina ran the ball at will against Virginia Tech last year. And everything that North Carolina does on offense, the basis of every single thing they do, is, is played off of that zone running game. And they were just simply not able to run the ball as effectively as they needed to. Now, the stats don't look as bad in the box score when you see the Ty Chandler average, you know, 6.6 yards per carry, EJ Jones averaged 7.2 yards per carry. But when you consider when those rushes occurred, Virginia Tech was playing some prevent defense up by 10, right? And and they're playing pass first when Carolina's run the ball a little. So North Carolina, by and large, in this football game, could not run the football. Um, The story of the game for me is Virginia Tech's ability with their defensive ends. Amari Barno, who is athletically one of the most gifted players in the ACC as far as defensive linemen are concerned, they were kind of using him as a quarterback spy. Some positions where they you know, dropped him into coverage, which I thought was something. Um, they had him uh, play, co- you know, play in coverage. They had him rush the quarterback. They had him do a few different things, not just from a pure rushing standpoint. On the other side, that allowed Taiwan Garbutt to have a really, really nice game on the other side of the defensive line. The pass rush was really good. And the bigger takeaway offensively is that North Carolina's receivers, not named Josh Downs, could not get open against the Virginia Tech veteran secondary, which is something that we also said was extremely pivotal for Tech to be able to give themselves an opportunity to win this football game. Well, and a couple times those receivers did get open. They couldn't catch the ball, Mike. Yeah. Like... That, that was the thing, you know, again, Virginia Tech's defense, I was impressed with. I mean, they were they were way more physical. They owned the line of scrimmage. They got after Sam Howell early and often. Um, they did a lot to cause a lot of problems for this North Carolina offense. It's just, I, I was surprised at how, again, how just soft and pushed around that offensive line was for North Carolina. Uh, they, they could not run the ball with, like, any level of consistency or effectiveness, Sam Howell was running for his life basically the whole game. I he, I thought he could have been better, but I don't think Sam Howell was the problem. Josh Downs, like we said, he was awesome. I thought he had a couple of really big moments. He had the only touchdown for North Carolina, eight catches, 123 yards. I mean, he got involved in a lot of different ways, and he was really good. I don't have anything good to say about anybody else on North Carolina after that game. I, I felt like offensively, defensively, they got pushed around. They looked disorganized on defense. They took bad angles. They weren't tackling well. Like, North Carolina did not look ready to play at all. Um, yeah, and the, and the biggest takeaway for me, too, and, you know, when we talk specifically about Carolina's receivers not being able to catch or, like, being in positions where they couldn't win one-on-one, Sam Howell was 5-12, six yards in an interception when he targeted Virginia Tech's outside cornerbacks. That's Jermaine Waller. Armani Chapman and Dorian Strong mm-hmm. simply could not win one-on-one consistently enough to win this football game. Biggest takeaway for me with the Virginia Tech defense. I was really impressed. Um, this year, Peoples stepped in at safety. We thought it might be Devin Hunter, um, you know, prized recruit from a few years ago. 
ended up being near people's and he was outstanding in this football game. He was all over the field at safety. I was the the worry if you were a Virginia Tech fan coming into this defensively, the the main concern was the middle of the defense um in the secondary because you had got you know you had to replace Reggie Floyd a couple of years ago and you were trying to figure out how to do that. And then this offseason you're trying to replace Divine Diablo in the middle of the secondary. And you're like, okay, how are we going to do that? And Tech found a way to do that. And hats off to Ryan Smith, cornerbacks coach, Justin Hamilton. You know, when you have all offseason, I'm Justin Fuente doesn't lose season openers. He lost one at Virginia Tech a few years ago with some weird turnover luck with Ryan Willis. He's five and one in season openers, and three of his biggest wins are in openers. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. On the offensive side, it wasn't perfect. It was a tale of two halves, certainly. Burmeister was 7 of 8 with 126 yards and a touchdown in the first half. I thought Tech ran the ball effectively in the first half. They had a lot more success on the perimeter than I expected, um, given North Carolina's talent in their secondary. I thought that Carolina would have an easier time uh, tackling Virginia Tech on the outside than they ultimately did. Um, so that was that was a bit of a surprise to me. Um, Credit where it's due. We have talked a lot of trash about Brad Cornelson's play calling over the years and some of their decisions on how they coach the offense. I thought he called a really good game for what their game plan was, and they kept North Carolina's defense off balance pretty well. Yeah, I really liked the game plan for sure. Um, sitting on the ball, which is something we talked about in the preview, um, they, they did that. They had to run the ball well, and they found different ways to do that without using Braxton Burmeister. But with that being said, Burmeister – you know, he would drop back to throw. And then if there wasn't anything there, he made a pretty quick decision to pull it down and run. And I really liked that element of his game too. Didn't take any unnecessary hits, which is something that's extremely crucial for Virginia Tech. If they want to you know, have a successful season, they can't lose Burmeister, a quarterback. Um, but Burmeister wasn't perfect in the second half. He threw a really bad interception. He came last year on a wheel route out of the backfield. Um, he was 5 of 11 in the second half for 43 yards and interception. Virginia Tech's offense in the fourth quarter specifically ran 15 plays for 34 yards. Joey, 20 of those yards came on that James Mitchell play where he showed like most of Carolina's defense and broke up the middle of the field for a really crucial first down. Mm-hmm. Um, so Tech's offense was largely ineffective in the second half. So credit North Carolina and Jay Bateman for making those adjustments. But for just how played, there wasn't really a, a – time in the second half where I really thought Carolina could just at will like go right up the field and score just because they weren't having any success winning one-on-one. There were plenty of times where I thought Tech could let Carolina back in the ball game. The midfield, Burmeister's interception, the Tech got back literally two plays later. Like those were situations where I thought the game could turn. Um, but give Virginia Tech's defense a lot of credit. In the fourth quarter specifically, the offense had nothing. And the defense was just up to the task, something that they simply just couldn't do here. Yep, yep. I, I, I really feel like that the Virginia Tech defense is where they really won this game. But also, I mean, in, in the first half, the offense, the, the ability to sit on the ball, uh, to, to keep Sam Howell on the offense off the field, they could never get in rhythm. I, I thought that was a big deal. I, I do come out of this, especially looking at Virginia Tech's offense, I feel like there's a fairly clear, like, game plan if you're trying to beat Virginia Tech in that offense load up stop the run try to make Braxton Burmeister beat you over the top with his arm like I saw him make one really particularly good throw in this game it was that deep ball I think it was late in the first half to Trey Turner down the sideline yep. 
uh, got a touchdown. Him. Yeah, it was the. I guess it was a touchdown. Yeah, um, that was a really oh, to good set, throw. to set it up. To set it up, it was. You know, I think they had first and goal right after that. Okay, yeah, I was thinking it got him down around the five yard line or something like that. That was a that was a brilliant throw. I don't think I saw him complete another pass where I was like, yeah, that receiver looked covered. Like North Carolina was just like blowing coverages left and right. They were there was a yep. lot of misdirection that was being used. Braxton Burmeister had easy throw after easy throw. If you can make him make tougher throws consistently, I don't know if he can do it, but North Carolina didn't make him do it. I agree. I mean, the only throw and ended up not even counting was he threw a touchdown pass to Tavion Robinson in the corner of the end zone in the second half, and that was a really pretty throw. He pretty well covered, ended up being overturned. Um, Gene Tech had to kick a field goal shortly after that, so Carolina held. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Yeah, I agree. I mean, that's that's the path. That was the path to beat Virginia Tech last year, too, right? It was, okay, can we stop Khalil Herbert? If we do that, then make the receivers of, of Tech beat you one-on-one, and let's see if whoever's playing quarterback, Hooker or Burmeister, let's see if they can beat him. And a lot of times, Tech couldn't. Now, looking at Burmeister, seeing the misdirection and things like that, I would like to see the offense opened up a little bit with the passing game. Um, too many times in this game, I looked at, you know, Burmeister throwing the football, and yes, he was highly successful, highly efficient in the first half. The only incompletion was a drop by Trey Turner in the end zone. Um, that was the only incompletion he had, and that ball was, you know, hit hit Trey Turner in the numbers. I don't know. He doesn't drop anything. I don't know how he dropped that. Um, but, like, I would like to see the offense opened up a little bit where Burmeister can push it down the field a little bit more. Um, to Cornelson's credit, he tried to make things as easy as possible on Burmeister. He got the ball out of his hands quick which I think is a really good game plan against the speed of North Carolina. I would like to see him open the offense up a bit. Some of the non-conference uh, competition they have coming up, they have Middle Tennessee this Saturday, they have Richmond in two weeks, even the West Virginia team that just lost to Maryland um, over in the, over in the big 10 over the weekend. Like let's, let's see, let's see that big 12 defense, a very a decent defense in West Virginia. Like let's see Burmeister throw against that group a little bit. Um, because if not, right, if he can't do that, then that could be a problem for Virginia tech here down the line in the coastal, um, because the defense will keep him in games. Can Burmeister do enough through the air when the run game's not working? That's going to be a question. Yep. Yep. Um, last thing, Mike, again, this is one game is week one in North Carolina, by the way, we, we forgot, kind of forgot to mention this in the preview, I think, but the last couple of years, they've got this habit of starting seasons slow. Um, They do. And, and like they did not look like they were ready to play this year. They didn't look like they were ready to play last year. Um, very sluggish starts to the year for them. Even all that considered, Mike, is there a chance that North Carolina is actually really not very good? Yep. Like I, I really wanted to believe that as as well as they've recruited the last couple of years and all this stuff. Like you, you have to replace all of this production, but the guys you're replacing it with are you know, pretty well-regarded, pretty talented guys. I, I mean, with what I saw last night or, you know, on Friday, I, I mean, if it's that easy to just out physical them and push them around, they're not going to be very good this year. Just point blank. Well, I agree. And, and the thing like Josh Downs was outstanding in this game, right? He was very good. Um, But outside of Josh Downs, like I look at, I look at this offense, specifically the, the receiver group for Carolina, and Emory Simmons is a redshirt junior. Like, didn't play a lot. Antoine Green's a senior. Didn't play a lot. 
those guys are two of your top three receivers because Bo Corrales was out in this game, right? Yeah. Those are two of your top yeah. three receivers outside of Josh Downs. They can buy for five catches for 66 yards. They were non-factor. They right? looked like, slow. They did. Um, those are Fedora's guys, Joey. Like, I got some questions about Carolina, and it that's just one piece of it. And, and the offensive line was bad. Terrible. You can return... You can return any talent you want. It doesn't mean the talent's good. We we do that too much. We say, oh, they're returning all that. You know, they're returning five starters. Yeah, but they couldn't pass block last year. That's what I was trying to say in the preview. Like, they can't pass block, and they didn't run the ball particularly well. So if teams can exploit this North Carolina offensive line and Howell's receivers can't get open, what the hell are they going to do on offense? <laughs> what are they going to do? Yeah. Typically, if you can't really pass and you can't really run and you can't really block – it, it's it's kind of hard to score points at that point, <laughs> right? Right, and I had a hard time. I had a hard time believing too. Right, looking at Carolina's Carolina's offense and defense, and you know Sam Howell quarterback. I still had a hard time believing that Carolina's defense would be the better of the two units this year. I, I thought they'd be pretty. I thought they'd be improved. Um, a lot of people were saying this would be like a top twenty defense. I, I didn't see that necessarily, but I mean they're going to be good. They played well in this game. But they didn't play well in the first half. They adjusted and played great in the second half, I thought. Really gave Virginia Tech a bunch of issues. And I think if Carolina defense continues to stand up to the task, it gives the offense time to figure it out. I think Carolina will be fine. But there are some questions offensively with the offensive line and the skill position talent outside that really that really makes you concerned. Yep. Virginia Tech 17, North Carolina 10. We need to keep moving here, Mike. This is uh, we, got, we got some more stuff to get to. Um, we're going to talk about Georgia Tech here in a second. But before we do, Mike... Have you ever found yourself wanting to be associated with a Georgia Tech-related brand that puts out a good product? I do now. <laughs> yes, you do. Uh, because despite what other brands are doing right now with their uh, their products, Section 103 has a fantastic product. Uh, if you haven't checked them out, go to section103.com. They have all sorts of Georgia Tech brand uh, branded wear, uh, officially licensed with logos. It is super high-quality stuff. I was wearing one of the athletic shirts there during the day watching games. And as I was kind of going inside, outside, you know, went on a walk. You want to talk about high quality stuff helps keep you cool. It looks great. Go check out section103.com. That is some of the best looking Georgia Tech stuff that money can buy right now. We highly recommend it. We love it. Go check them out. If, I mean, if, if I'm interested in the Georgia Tech stuff from the site, you know the shirts are good check. That's right. That's right. You have a, a Bobby Dodd Stadium is my happy place shirt coming your way, I believe. Um, I, I'm going to be checking out some of the non-athletic wear, too, because I know that that's also some pretty high quality stuff. Um, if you want something to look good, to feel good, and it's got Georgia Tech logos on it, it's like actual official branding wear. Go check them out. Section103.com. Use promo code GOACC for 10% off your first order. Once again, that's section103.com. Shout out to Steven and the gang. They do a fantastic job. Cannot recommend them enough. With that, Mike, section103.com has some really high-quality product that they put out. Oh, no. The Georgia Tech football team does not. Northern Illinois, 22. Georgia Tech, 21. Joey, Joey, Joey. Yes, Michael. I am just going to step aside here, I think. (laughs) And I am going to uh, let you have the floor. I have some thoughts about this, but I, um, I'm just gonna gonna let you get yours out of the way first because there's <laughs> gonna be this is gonna get ranty, and I just need you to just get off to the races here. It's gonna be very ranty. Um, 
Mike, I, I think we're uh, I think we're in the end game now. Uh, I think Jeff Collins is is more or less done in his time at Georgia Tech. Um, it's, there it is. He's not going to be fired today. He's not going to be fired. At, well, there's one exception here: is that if you lose this coming week to Kennesaw State. Todd Stansberry, the AD, might be looking at the uh, break glass in case of emergency button in his office mm-hmm. and calling up the, you know, the Peloton guys and calling up you know whoever he's got to call up to make a move because it is going to get real bad real fast. Um, and Kennesaw State, real quick, just to interject very briefly, Kennesaw State is the game that you and I kind of jokingly, half-jokingly, but we're kind of serious about. Like Going into the year, we're like, hey, if Georgia Tech's going to lose like a Citadel game, that might be it. I'm thinking about it, Mike. I think even going back to his time at Temple, Jeff Collins in games where his team is like a two-touchdown favorite or more, I think he might have a losing record. I'm not talking about like can't cover the spread. I'm talking about loses the game on the field. Flat out money line. Straight up just loses. Um, yeah, so I, Jeff Collins is done, I believe. Um, it won't be this week. It won't be even at the end of this season. I don't think, I think it's going to take till the end of next season for the money to be right. And all of that, they're going to probably win a couple games the rest of this year. Uh, they'll probably beat somebody they shouldn't beat. We'll come back. They'll fire both the coordinators, you know, at least one, maybe both of them. Uh, we'll come back next year. We'll hear all about, you know, well, oh, the scheme has, uh, has, you know, the new scheme has taken, we fixed what was wrong. They're going to come back next year. They're going to go like four and eight or five and seven. They're going to fire Jeff Collins and we're going to start all over again. And, and like that's I, I have seen enough at this point. We come into this year, Mike, Georgia Tech has like the fifth ranked roster in the ACC. I, I believe it's 33rd nationally by the 24-7 sports composite. They come out here. They have spent all offseason, spring practice, summer workouts, fall camp. You do all of this stuff. And you come out and you got pushed around and embarrassed by a Northern Illinois team that went winless in the Mac last year. They're bad. They are bad. What on God's green? Like, sometimes I want, do you practice? Do you practice for more than like the eight minutes a day it takes to shoot B-roll that you can put on social media videos? What do you do? You've got guys that don't look like they know where they're supposed to be. You've got guys that like are just falling over themselves trying to block or trying to, you know, they're taking terrible angles. Nobody knows what they're doing. What do you do in practice, Mike? Like, I don't get it. It's year three. And, and, and clearly, like, this is not, we're not having this conversation. If this is what you're doing against regular Illinois, if this is what you're doing against Boston College, you know, like, there are teams on the schedule that, like, I would be disappointed, but I kind of get it. Mike, you have the 33rd best roster in the country. Northern Illinois is something like 117. You are bigger, faster, stronger, and have every reason to be better than them. In every way, you should be able to go out and impose your will on them. And instead, you got made a fool of. When does it end, Mike? This is no longer a transformation. And I can tell, by the way, because in the last year or two, usually when this would happen, and by the way, it's happened uh, you come out, you start criticizing the coaching staff and all this, and you'd have people running to his defense. People saying it takes time, it's a transition, and then, you know, this and the transformation and blah, 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 blah. Like, I get it. There would be people kind of stepping up to defend him. There are not people stepping up to defend this, Mike, because everybody knows this is an embarrassment of epic proportions yet again 
And this is just clearly what the Jeff Collins era is becoming. It's a bunch of hype. It's no substance. Jeff Sims comes out here. Looks like what I would have thought he would have looked like a year ago in Dope Campbell starting the year as a true freshman. Instead, yep. he plays all year, comes back after a full offseason. He's studied all this tape. He's a he's a you know second-year player. It's great. He looked scared. Like, his mechanics and his footwork were awful. He was throwing the ball all over the place, and none of it was where it was supposed to go. You couldn't run the ball on Northern Illinois. Pass protection was a clown show. What do you do in practice? I don't get it. I don't know. It's embarrassing. I'm tired of watching it. It, it, Like, this is, it's over. This is done. Like, it's going to take some time to actually fire him, but, like, we're in the end game. We're watching the end of this era now. It's, It's over. This is ridiculous. This is this reminds me of the article I wrote after Pittsburgh throttled Virginia Tech last year. It was titled "It's Over," and I said, you know, it was done with Fuente. I was feeling the same way, um, but th- that was Tech losing to Pittsburgh. Uh, they weren't losing to Northern Illinois. Now, not that they haven't done something terrible like that in the past. They've had plenty of bad losses. Mm-hmm. But I look at this Georgia Tech team on Saturday, and I look at who they have returning. Right? They have one of the best running backs in the ACC in Jameer Gibbs. They have up-and-coming quarterback, I thought, in Jeff Sims. Mm-hmm. They have a lot turning on offense, right? And, and the defense, we expected the, the Jeff Collins defense to be better. And, you know, to their credit, the defense had their moments in this football game, but they also let Harrison Whaley run for 144 yards and a touchdown. He plays for Northern Illinois. I just want to remind you, Joey. He plays for Northern Illinois. I right? almost forgotten. Thanks for the reminder. Yeah. Like, my, my major takeaway from this is that Jeff Collins, like you said, is all hype and no substance. Joey, I think we've reached the point. See, with Virginia Tech, I know that Fuente and his staff, they have an ability to coach. I'm not necessarily sure they have an ability to recruit. Jeff Collins and his staff, they're the opposite. I know that they can recruit. I'm now starting to be pretty sure they can't coach. They can't coach, no. And when you lose to the Citadel, when you lose to Northern Illinois, when you're losing inexplicable ACC games, even in, even in a rebuild, like there comes a point in time where you have to sit there and just assess the entire situation and just say, you know what, this is a coach that we needed in the middle of a transition. It was good to kind of garner more hype around the program. He look as an outsider, he has not Jeff Collins has not done everything perfectly, right? But he has done some stuff that I think is good, right? Mm-hmm. The Georgia Tech program under Paul Johnson towards the end of his tenure was pretty stale, Joey. The brand was pretty stale, I think oh, we would sure. argue. And Jeff Collins immediately comes in. And, and one of the things I was impressed with when Collins was hired was his ability to generate hype around the football program. And that was a big deal at the time, right? And I think that was a really important thing for Georgia Tech to do coming out of that Paul Johnson era over the last you know few years of that year was to get more hype around the football program. You're in Metro Atlanta. You can get talent there in that state. You can, you can recruit plenty of really good players there to Georgia Tech to go play for that school. Um, and, and I thought it was really important at the time. And, and that is important in a lot of ways. But when you get to a point in a rebuild process when you should be starting to see results, right? And granted, Georgia Tech is a school that is, you know, they have one of the toughest schedules in the country this year. Um, and you look at it, you're like, you know what? It doesn't necessarily need to be six wins to be a success. Just don't lose this game. Just don't lose to Kennesaw State. Like, those are the games you are not supposed to lose, Joey, right? 
That's correct. And, and the way I and the way I just look at this is that with this schedule, and given everything that Georgia Tech's going to endure, both with the ACC schedule with permanent crossover uh, with Clemson, playing a team like Miami, you got Georgia, you got Notre Dame, like you know, you gotta beat Northern Illinois, mm-hmm. and the fact that you're not able to do that really gives me questions because Collins is doing this now every year. Yep. And even one, even in year one with a rebuild, you're not supposed to lose to though, right? Like you're not supposed to do that. You're definitely not supposed to lose to a winless Mac team, Northern Illinois, a team that did not win a single game in the Mac last year. You are not supposed to lose to that team. Nope. And this, this is, uh, for everything that was nice that I said about Jeff Collins about 30 seconds ago, it's a wrap. I'm with you. This thing is absolutely done. It's not going to work. And I hate overreacting, but this is like this, this roster is too talented to be in a slug fest as an 18 point favorite with Northern Illinois. Like yep. this is not, not supposed to happen. And this in some ways, this in some ways is even more embarrassing for Georgia tech. When you consider the talent, like that they have in, in like 24 sevens composite rankings. Like you mentioned, like they have the 33rd best roster in the country and they're losing to a winless Mac team. That means mm-hmm. you flat out got your ass kicked and you were out coached. That's what that means. Flat out at home. Like that, that can't, that can't happen. Not ever, not in year three, not ever. I just, a really, really bad look for Georgia Tech. I mean, a really, really bad look. No way around it. I, I want to give like, Two points of credit. Um, number one, we talked about one of the things that really needed to be cleaned up were penalties. Um, they had a lot of dumb procedural penalties last year that really, I mean, it, it kept the defense from getting off the field. It stalled drives for the offense. I mean, it was it was bad. They were able to clean that up. They had two penalties for five yards in this game. That was good. That was good. Uh, the other thing that happened, Jeff Sims, as mentioned, he was he was pretty bad. Uh, for the first 20 or so minutes of this game that he was in. And that concluded when he fumbled an exchange on a, on a handoff. I think it was, it was a mesh kind of thing that just, just dropped the ball. Uh, Northern Illinois recovered it. And then trying to recover it, Jeff Sims was injured. Uh, It was not a good looking injury. Um, So he, he might be out next week and maybe beyond. We don't really know much at this point of kind of what that's going to look like. The credit goes to Jordan Yates the backup who came in and absolutely played his ass off. Um, There were multiple plays where he took a hit and ended up doing like a somersault front flip kind of thing to get first downs. Yep. Um, 12 of 18 for 135 yards and a touchdown passing. I don't believe he turned the ball over. Um, Really good showing from him considering, you know, what you expected you were going to get from him at that position, which was nothing, (laughs) right? Like he's, he's the backup. Right, right, right. Credit to him. But Mike, I just... you're right. Like at some point we talked about how big and strong the offensive line is. Why is it? You can't get a push on Northern Illinois front. Why is it that they blitz two guys at your left tackle and he watches both of them run right past him and doesn't touch either of them. Really concerning. Again, what do you do in practice? Because they don't look like they know what they're supposed to be doing. Um, there was a there was a point out, you know, there was a point where Georgia Tech had the ball deep in the red zone. They burned a timeout because they were trying to substitute and they they couldn't substitute right. 
Like, this is simple stuff, Mike. We talk about, you know, the transition and all that and a, and a freshman quarterback or whatever, but, like, th- this is stuff that I could teach a, t- a class of third graders to do, right? It's how to, to substitute. To your point, to your point, what do they practice? I don't know. I don't know. And so between that and the miscommunications on defense, I mean, there were guys running open. There were guys taking bad angles. Just, if this is what you're getting against this team, you know, this this Mac opponent in year three, it, it, it isn't going to work. It's not working. It's never going to work. We're done. We're done. It's time to move on. And I know that, you know, we try not to blow the opener too much out of proportion, but this like Northern Illinois team is so bad. And the ACC tends, you know, especially in the coastal tends to cannibalize itself a little bit. Yeah. Joey, if I set the over under two and a half wins in the ACC this year, after seeing that performance on Saturday, I think Georgia tech wins more than two and a half or less than two and a half in the ACC. Right now I'm leaning under. Isn't that suck? That It does. Yeah, it really does. Doesn't that suck? They won three last year. Yeah. They're going backwards yeah. somehow. Tells you everything you need to know. Sure does. Sure does. Northern Illinois 22, Georgia Tech 21. Um, brutal. Part of the reason I think that there's a shot that they're going to at least win one game this year, Mike, is that one of the teams they have to play this year is Duke. And, Mike, uh, the transition here is that Charlotte 31, Duke 28. Charlotte's first ever win against a Power 5 opponent, Duke <laughs> credit yeah. to Mateo Durant because I mean he is doing a yeoman's work 29 carries for 255 yards and three scores God bless Mateo Durant that's about the beginning and end of what's good about Duke right now goodness gracious it is it is time to move on it's time yep this was a disaster for Duke I mean horrible horrible you had the lead with what, like a minute and a half to go? Yeah, and the only reason you had that is because Mateo Durant went nuts on a 53-yard touchdown run with a man 44 left. So if you didn't do that, you were actually trailing. And then the defense just allowed them to go right up and down the field on them on the final drive of the game. Just Once again, absolutely pathetic. this is the same Charlotte team that you beat by 30 points, 34 points last year? You racked up 53 points, you know, 53 to 19 was the win. This is the team that now came out and beat you to start the year. I mean, I I don't know where you go from here if you're Duke. Yeah. um, (laughs) Man, hey, remember when we talked to Steve Wiseman and he said that when Kevin White was the athletic director, he made that joke saying that Cutcliffe had more job security than he did. Remember that? That sounds like a real big problem for Kevin White because his yeah. ass might be on the line at this point if this if that's the case. Yeah, and now that Kevin White's no longer the AD, now it's now it's Nita King, and you know she was cut from the same cloth. You know she's been there a while, and she knows what David Cutcliffe means to the university. That's the the question to me isn't what Duke thinks David Cutcliffe means to the university. It's my opinion, it's got to be what David Cutcliffe, it's got to be David Cutcliffe realizing that, right? Like what I've meant to this school and, you know, what I've done for the football program and more specifically when it's time to step aside, he's got to come to that realization because Joey, they've been bad now for a few, few years and they would never, you know, when they had 
you know, Daniel Jones and, you know, they were able to matriculate the ball down the field a bit better. And even when they had Chase Bryce a year ago, I mean, we weren't, we weren't thinking Duke was going to be losing to a team like Charlotte. Remember what happened in that, in that Charlotte game last year? It was the one out of conference game that Duke played. And you brought that up in the preview. What was it 53 to 19 was the final? Beat the brakes off them. Beat the brakes off of them. And Duke was flat out outplayed, outcoached. The defense looked horrendous. Offense looked fine because Mateo Duran had a really good game. Gunnar Holmberg was largely okay. Um, you know, 20 to 29 passing for 228 yards and a touchdown. He was fine. That wasn't really the issue. I came away really concerned about the Duke defense. I mean, giving up 31 Charlotte team that's, you know, coached well by Will Healy, but replacing a lot. Um, that was really, really poor by Duke. And Georgia Tech, I feel better about Georgia Tech than I do about Duke. I mean, Duke's in a whole different – Cutcliffe's been there a while. Like, they shouldn't be losing, they shouldn't be losing Charlotte in openers. That's crazy. I mean, if you ask me which team is going to be decidedly better at the end of the year than they are now, Duke or Georgia Tech, it's you're Duke. Gonna go with, you're going to go with Duke. Yeah, uh, yeah but – and I understand that. I just <sighs> Charlotte, really? This is where, and, and this is maybe where we can take a second real quick and just talk at a little bit of a higher level with the ACC. I, I think this, this is where I was really disappointed this weekend was I was really of the mindset coming in with all the returning production. You have these teams that are laden with seniors and you got a full proper offseason with all these coaching staffs and even with coordinator changes last year, like you get a full proper install and all this stuff. I was of the mindset that that was going to result in some really high quality of play across the board in the ACC. And naturally, I mean, teams have to win games and lose games like that's that's how the sport is played. But like I just thought that from a general quality standpoint, what you would be watching would be of, of a better quality than I think what we saw from a lot of teams this weekend. That was right. really frustrating and disappointing to me from the ACC standpoint. Yeah, and I, I think people are people are talking about how, you know how it was a bad weekend for the conference, and everything. But then, like when you when you take a step back, you know, Clemson lost a top five game by a touchdown. Like it wasn't that bad, right? That and, wasn't that bad, no. Yeah, number ten North Carolina. Sure, they got upset, but they got upset by a Virginia Tech team that the ACC should want to be good right like historically they they've been a good program in the conference right and you know folks pointing at you know georgia tech and duke i mean they've been coastal bottom feeders for the last few years right and but kind of what we're saying is that they they weren't supposed to be this year at least not as bad as maybe before well well georgia tech wasn't for sure duke I think a lot of us expected Duke to be bad. Maybe not quite this bad where you're losing to Charlotte in the opener, but I mean, we, we anticipated Duke would be Duke that, probably that, pretty and, poor. And that's what I'm saying. I mean, we, we both picked Duke to be seventh in the Coastal. Like we, you know, right. we didn't think they were going to be like even threatening for a bowl game. But again, didn't think they would be losing to Charlotte bad. Right. And, and my bigger deal too, like my, Miami losing to, to an Alabama, you know, number one Alabama out, you know, it's, there's, light, there's levels to it. Yeah, Florida State looked good last night against ND. So, yeah. I mean, it's bad. It's it's not great. It's not certainly not great for the ACC to have you know even some of your worst teams perform to the level that they did this weekend. But 
man, I just don't. On a larger level, I mean, Mateo Durant's really good. He's going to be the only reason worth watching Duke this year, I think. And I'm just not sure they 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 probably don't go winless, but maybe like two and ten. Yeah, it's going to be tough sledding if this is where we're starting. Yeah, Charlotte thirty-one, Duke twenty-eight. Let's move on. Shout out to Twitter user Q's football hype. His, oh yeah, his Syracuse Orange twenty-nine, the Ohio Bobcats nine. Mike, we were wrong here. Uh, we were really, wrong. really good showing from Syracuse. If we want to start getting in the uh, the positive category, I think everyone from here had a really good showing in the ACC this weekend. Starts with Syracuse; yeah. they looked really good and, and beat Ohio. Yeah, nothing, nothing but uh, highlights and sunshine and roses the rest of the way. Um, Tommy DeVito, I, I still got some issues with the with the Syracuse passing game, as I'm sure a lot of Syracuse fans do have that performance. Tommy DeVito. Still not necessarily the answer at quarterback. He was 11 of 17 for 92 yards. So that's uh, that's a good Kobe Bryant uh, <laughs> Kobe. candidate for later in the podcast. Yeah, uh, Sean Tucker, 25 carries for 181. He was really good. DeVito did have 49 yards rushing a touchdown, which was good. Um, I didn't watch much of this game, but I, I look at this on paper as a win for Syracuse because this was not a slam dunk. The, the line actually went from... I think Syracuse minus two to pick them by game time. So a lot of, a lot of money was coming in on Ohio, certainly, but it's a really nice win for Syracuse to start the year. Dino Babers. I don't think Syracuse is going to win a lot this year, but you need to win that one. Yep. Sure did. Um, Sean Tucker again, 25 carries for 181 yards and a touchdown. Uh, I mean, that's, that's a strong performance and that's a guy you can really, you can really build on and, and play behind. So yeah. Credit to them. Uh, so good win for Syracuse. It was a dangerous spot. You know, you, you depending on where you looked and when you looked, they might not have even been favored. But uh, to come away with a pretty decisive win and uh, be able to pull away pretty decisively in the third quarter, uh, you know, good showing. So good start for Syracuse. For sure. What I'm most bummed about is we won't be able to use my Adam Sandler drop with Syracuse saying, you know, I'm going through a rough stretch of my life right now. Syracuse is 0-3. Wait, yeah, we can't use that now. Yeah. Not this year anyways. Yeah. Syracuse. <laughs> Syracuse 29, Ohio 9. Uh, moving on, back to Thursday night, Mike. NC State 45, South Florida nothing. I got to say, uh, you know, aside from the obvious, like, Clemson, uh, you know, qualifier here because, you know, they're the, they're the playoff team and have been. Yeah, yep. Of all the teams in the ACC, I thought NC State looked like they might legit be the second best team in the conference based on what I saw this weekend. Yeah, they were just kind of okay in the first half. I thought they actually played better in the second half than they did in the first half. Uh, BM Knight had 163 yards. Ricky Person, 105. They combined for three touchdowns. Person had two. Knight had one. Jordan Houston got in the end zone with a touchdown run. Leary had two touchdown passes through a horrible pick. Uh, one, of the, one of the worst picks of the weekend, by the way. He underthrew his receiver by about five yards. Um, but I thought overall NC State played pretty well. Um, South Florida man, Jeff Scott, he's going to make a really good offensive coordinator for Dabo Swinney in a year or two when Tony Elliott leaves. <laughs> yeah. NC state's defense looked per, like really good, uh, really bottled up USF's offense, kept them under 300 total yards. Um, I thought Devin Leary looked good. They ran the ball. Well, Zonovan Knight and Ricky person, 32 carries for, you know, 268 yards and three scores. Like, yep. you know, that's, that's a really solid performance. This was this was a game that NC State put away early. They were up twenty four to nothing at halftime, and it only went from there. Um, really solid performance from the from the Wolfpack there. 
Yeah, and we can both acknowledge that we thought NC State's defense would be pretty good this year on paper. And I'm interested to see if this is more of NC State's defense being as good as we think it is or South Florida being quite bad. But either way, they look good in the opener. Probably a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B there. But Yeah, I agree. I agree. And, and it's not lost on me that South Florida is not good. Like, right. You, know, you didn't shut out like a, a, an AAC contender here. But right. at the same time, I mean, they just looked very well put together. They handled their business. There were there were very few like obvious mistakes that I saw. Um, so I, I just felt like this is a really clean, really high high level performance from NC State against a, an inferior opponent. Yep, agree. So NC State forty five, South Florida nothing. Uh, moving on, Wake Forest forty two, Old Dominion ten. Uh, again, solid performance from Wake Forest here against a, a an overmatched opponent. But Wake was up twenty eight to three at halftime. I'm not going to talk about that score anymore. Um, Sam Hartman, 18 to 27 for 188 and three scores. Christian Beal Smith had a long touchdown run. Uh, really solid performance from Wake Forest here as well. Yeah, it was. I mean, it was it was 42 to three. I mean, ODU scores a late touchdown to to make that 42 10, I believe. Um, if I didn't get that math right, let me know. No, I think uh, it's right. Yeah, uh, Sam Hartman had three touchdown passes. Christian Beal Smith, two touchdown runs. Um, Old Dominion looked pretty bad in the opener of the Ricky Rainey era. I mean, this is a Wake Forest team that's definitely better. Um, but ODU was never even really competitive in this game. Um, so good for Wake Forest for getting this over with quick. Yep. Wake 42, Old Dominion 10. Not going to hammer on that for too much longer. Same thing with Pittsburgh. Pitt 51, UMass 7. Uh, this is mostly exciting because I was texting with you during the, the later stages of this game because I had bet UMass team total under seven and a half. And buddy, we were living and dying with UMass in the red zone late in the game. But thankfully, my Panthers stood up and Pitt got the job done. Uh, big day for Kenny Pickett, 27 to 37 for 272 and two scores. Uh, again, this was never really particularly close. This was like a body bag game and Pittsburgh handled it that way. Yeah, I actually texted you with a Nice little joke that I think Walt Bell's going to be the next great coach of Bowling Green. So. <laughs> I, you know, I did get the impression a little bit that it, I mean, it felt like in the first half, at least Pittsburgh kind of, what I'll say, played with their food a little bit. It was only 23 to nothing at halftime, which again, that's a shutout. Like I get it, but like, you know, they, they messed around a little bit in the first half. I felt like, um, but of course they, they just kind of kept chugging and, and put the game away pretty, uh, pretty easily late. We had a Nick Patty sighting at quarterback. He went five and five for fifty-eight yards, and then we even had Davis Beville, Bevel, Beville. I don't know, two of three for forty-five yards. That was pretty good too. So um, Pittsburgh got a lot of the roster into this game. Uh, you know, nice easy win for the for the Panthers. Peppermint Nick Patty, baby. <laughs> Pitt fifty-one, UMass seven. Uh, from there, we had a pair of FCS shutouts, Mike. Uh, Boston College 51, Colgate nothing, Virginia 43, William and Mary nothing. I mean, again, you had opponents that were way overmatched, and you did a nice job handling it. You did what you were supposed to do in the opener. What's that like, Mike? What's that like? <sighs> I wouldn't know. Man, I I did. <laughs> you know. Uh, yeah. Couple, uh, a couple teams that are you know, we think are going to be pretty solid, handled their business, and uh, didn't really give us a lot to talk about. So good on them. Our Georgia Tech audience, they may just stick around this year for the memes. They might. I hope they do. I hope they do. There's there's a lot we of do. them. And we love we you guys. we got plenty so, coming, I'm sure. Absolutely. 
Um, last thing, Mike, we had one more game to recap here. The uh, the Tennessee Volunteers, 38, our beloved, beloved Bowling Green Falcons, six points. Now, that's that's a blowout, and, and it really is. But keep in mind, this game was 14-6 to six at halftime. Tennessee did not look good at all in this game. They really struggled in the first half in particular to run the ball. And the only reason I'm actually kind of digging into this a little bit from a Tennessee standpoint is they go next week and play the Pitt Panthers. So we're going to get to see them a little bit more up close at noon on ESPN next week. Yeah, a little advanced scouting, so to speak. Um, yeah, I actually watched a, a good deal of this game, uh, mostly because uh, former Virginia Tech quarterback Hendon Hooker is on that roster, and I was seeing if he was going to get a chance to play a little bit. Um, oh, I thought it might have been just like a cry for help, that this is what you did with your Thursday night. Um, it was really, you know, when Ohio State, Minnesota was in commercial. Just something. <laughs> Fair enough. Also, the the Boise UCF game had like a three and a half hour weather delay. So really, the only game I could watch at that point was Tennessee, which I mean, you know, I'm in trouble at that point. <laughs> this Tennessee team's going to be really, really bad, by the way. Like they might not win an SEC game. potentially. I, I saw an early spread that Pitt is only like a three and a half point favorite. Mm. Maybe jump jump on that now before that's juicy before you're having to give like 10 points or something with Pittsburgh. Yeah, that's juicy. Um. By the way, our Falcons, Matt McDonald goes 25 of 38 for 187 yards, averaging a whopping 4.9 yards per attempt. Old McDonald. <laughs> About to sell the farm. Uh, oh, no. Bowling Green runs the ball collectively, 23 carries for 32 yards. A, uh, a real nice 1.4 yards per carry. So, good on you, Falcons. <laughs> Go ACC to that. Mike, we haven't talked about awards. You want to do it live? Oh, yeah. Let's do it live. The Go ACC moment of the week. Let's fire up the, uh, the old sound effects here. Uh, we're going to go to Pittsburgh, where we mentioned there was a Nick Patty sighting. Peppermint Nick Patty got in the game. Uh, Pitt had the ball third and goal. Snapped the ball before he's ready. Goes over his head. He and the setback both go to chase the ball down. Both try to recover it. Both keep the other one from recovering it, and UMass falls on the ball and recovers, and Pitt comes away with nothing. Go ACC to that. Yep, that was awful. That was awful. Uh, The Brian Van Gorder Memorial You Tried Award goes to Georgia Tech and Duke this week, who both really (laughs) tried not to embarrass themselves, and it didn't go great. It did not go great. In fact, they probably should have both been 1-0 at this point, and they're not. Yeah, they are decidedly not. Uh, the Kobe Bryant Memorial Volume Shooter of the Week Award. Uh, I forget, who, who do we say this was, Mike? R.I.P. Kobe. Uh, Syracuse quarterback Tommy DeVito, who, if I pull this up really quick, I believe was 11 of 19 in the football game for 92 yards. Is that 11 correct? of 17 for 92 yards. Ooh, 11 of 17 for 92 yards. Not great. 5.4 yards per attempt. Uh, honorary winner of this award was JT Daniels, of course, who threw like 45 passes for like 135 yards. Uh, thir- 30 passes for 135 Ideal. Yards. Not ideal. No, not great. Not great. Uh, Mike, that's all I've got on awards. You want to give out actual like legit awards? Team of the week. I think it's got to be your Virginia Tech Hokies. Huge I- win for them. Big, big moment for them. Way to kick off the season. They're in the driver's seat in the Coastal. 
I have a hard time picking anybody else, to be quite honest with you. Yeah, it's got to be got to be Virginia Tech. They're in, decidedly in the driver's seat of the Coastal after one week, so what could possibly go wrong? Yep. Big, big win for them. Probably the biggest moment you know, of positivity this weekend for the ACC. Yeah. So credit to them. And then Player of the Week. I'm trying to think of a standout performance here, and I'm struggling to really come up with one. Maybe. It's got to be Mateo Durant, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. Uh, in a losing yeah. effort. Golly. God love him. He, <laughs> you deserve better than Mateo Durant. He ran for 255 yards in that game. I mean, he was outstanding. Um, the Probably the, the second best choice for me would be Phil Dracovic. Um, Phil Dracovic, 16 of 24 passing, 303 yards, three touchdowns. Also had 61 yards on the ground in that game for DC. Yep, he was really good. He was really good for sure. Um, you know, a couple of really good performances from Bam Knight and Ricky Person for NC State. Um, I don't know. Yeah. I'll consider it. I mean, everybody else had some good performances. Brandon Armstrong had a, a pretty big day against William and Mary for Virginia. So shout out to a lot yep. of those guys. And by the way, Sean Tucker for, for Syracuse, 181 yards on the ground. That was a big deal. And, and really was probably the biggest difference in that game. Sean Tucker must die. That's right. That's right. I'm full of, I'm full of the puns. That's right. Lose all day. Mike, that's all I've got. This has been a lengthy recap, but we had a lot of games and we've got one more. We got to go watch tonight. Yep. Yeah, we'll hit that in the uh, in the preview, but kind of mixed back a little bit of everything here in week one in the ACC. It was a little bit of everything. It very much like I, I'm pretty sure I'm going to use this phrase wrong, but I'm pretty sure it upset the apple cart in terms of who we thought is good and who is not, uh, who has the potential to be good and who does not. So interesting to see if this is a one week like anomaly or if this is really kind of setting the tone for what's going to be uh, what's going to be to come here over the coming like three months of ACC football. Yeah, definitely not sure if you used that correctly, but I can't use it in a <laughs> sentence, so we'll go with what you said. There we go. I'll, I'll allow it. Uh, Mike, let's work on getting out of here. We are going to come back and recap the final game of the weekend. Again, Louisville and Ole Miss tonight at 8 o'clock on ESPN. This is probably going to go up and be posted just a couple hours before that, so uh, hopefully you've already watched that game if you're getting to this point in the podcast. Uh, in the meantime, you can come back and find us on Twitter. I'm at FTRS Joey. He's at Mike McDaniel SOS. Together, we're at BC Podcast ACC. You can send us an email with your questions, comments, concerns. The longest email address known to man, basketballconferencepodcast at gmail.com. Nailed it. Thank you. We, uh, we do have an email this week from Keith Derrick. Uh, we do not have time right now in this episode, but I, we did see it. We will try to address it here in the, uh, in the week two preview that is coming your yep. way. Definitely will. Uh, Mike, they can find us on iTunes, on Spotify, really on anywhere that they would normally find podcasts of any sort. And Mike, you want to tell them where they can find us on the social medias? Oh, yeah. Facebook, facebook.com slash basketball conference rate review. Find all of your podcasts there. Also, Instagram, instagram.com or Instagram app at BC Podcast ACC. That's right. We are on Insta. Go find us there. Do it for the gram. Uh, Mike, I think that's all I got. Anything else? We got the over tonight, baby. Let's ride with it. That's right. That's right going to be interesting. We'll see. I, I have a weird feeling that Louisville might be able to make this a very competitive game. So go cards. Go cards. Go cards. All right. Well, until next time, for Mr. Mike McDaniel, I am Joey Weaver. Thank you guys so much for listening. We will talk to you again soon. And until next time, go ACC. Go ACC.